So uh, in, this, in this section, I'm just going to address uh, a handful of things. I think that means five. And then, uh, and then open it up for Q&A. And uh, that, that's how we're going to use our time now, uh, just trying to punctuate some practical ideas. Um, so uh, first of all, I want to begin with just another, uh, another story of a gentleman in our church, uh, just a really, really excited uh, young Christian who uh, was invited to come to our church by some friends. He actually came to our house once. His leg was broken. He was trapped. He's a big guy. He's like 6'6". He eats a ton. Uh, my wife's a fantastic cook, so he hung out for a while. And uh, in talking to this guy, we decided to do a, uh, he agreed to do a Bible study with me on the Gospel of John. And we went through the entire Gospel of John, chapter by chapter together. And, you know, when you get, as a pastor, that kind of opportunity, you just get real excited and think, okay, this is definitely going to go the distance. And we get to the end of the Gospel of John, and so I asked Adam, all right, so what do, what do, you know, what do, you, what do you think? What are you processing now? He's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not ready to become a Christian. It's kind of deflated, a little disappointed, but, you know, God's sovereign, and uh, he humbles me daily. So, uh, but Adam came to church, and what was really interesting is uh, after a number, maybe like two months, he came up to me after a Sunday morning on a Lord's Supper Sunday and had tears in his eyes and said, I, I'm ready to make a profession of faith. And we sat down and talked about it. And I, I thought what he said was really intriguing. You might find edifying. And I asked him, so what, what happened? What changed? And his answer, I actually wrote a little article about it for Table Talk. His answer was the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper got to him. Uh, he said, every time you do the Lord's Supper, it tells me, you know, I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I get it. I haven't made a profession of faith. I've not really surrendered to Christ. And I need to you know, really do that. And I want to do that. And so the Lord's Supper uh, was the evangelistic means by which this guy came. Uh, I say that just to say uh, and reinforce the idea that you know, we, we, we talk about the ordinary means of grace. And we ought to believe in the ordinary means of grace. That not only will God save people through the preaching of his word. Uh, he even uses things like the sacraments which non-Christians don't take when they come to our churches. And nonetheless, uh, the sacrament makes that gospel visible in a way that's very evangelistic. Uh, so there are some out there that would say uh, that we should draw back from things like the Lord's Supper for the sake of evangelism. Uh, our church actually does it weekly. Uh, we do it uh, two Sundays a month in the morning, two Sundays a month in the evening. I feel like everybody's happy. It's actually gone very well. Uh, but for what it's worth evangelistically, the Lord's Supper has been effective in our church. And uh, by the way, when I got to baptize this guy, Adam, you know, 6'6 six, six guy, I'm doing an adult baptism, this big guy, it was wonderful. And to this day, he and his family are just core at our church. Love the church, active. His wife's been in the nursery. They're, they're just you know, really fantastic folks. He also does, what is this jujitsu thing where you guys roll around together and it's painful looking from a distance? Yeah, he would, he would be all over that. Matt keeps trying to get me over there, but it's only because he's an old friend and he wants to tie me up in a knot just once, and I'm not, I'm not, going, for the, I'm not going for that hook. All right, so... Uh, so related to that, I, I want to both compliment and challenge us regarding uh, the way we talk about the outward and ordinary means of grace, uh, because I think we are entirely right to put those front and center and believe that the primary way that God's going to save people is through the preaching of his word. 
Adam story is just a nice little icing on that cake. Uh, but I, I appreciate also something that uh, Al Mohler, uh, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, um, or you know what I'm talking about, uh, has, has made this point, and maybe you want to push back on it, but I think he's right, uh, that gone are the days, or going are the days, where you can simply hang out a shingle that says, faithful preaching here, come and get it. And people will come and get it. Now, there may have been a day, you think of the 80s, you know, when you had denominations making some bad turns and people go looking for a faithful church and they found places like the OPC. Uh, uh, You have that dynamic a lot. Uh, But more and more, the reality is that even though we have, you know, Danny Olinger has the best way of describing the OPC, we're the denomination of great preaching and rented buildings. Right? It's a good little nickname. Okay, it's not a real problem with that. Uh, but the question is, how do you get people that aren't interested in the gospel and interested in coming to church to come and hear good preaching? We have it. I believe that. But who's coming to hear it? That's obviously part of the challenge, right? Uh, so I think we need to acknowledge there's a real challenge where, you know, Mueller's not far off when he says, gone on the day uh, where you can just sort of assume in a community planning a church, uh, trying to perpetuate a church that's been around for a while, that people are just kind of out there, you know, looking for great preaching. And if somehow they just might know we're there, then all of a sudden, you know, Sunday's going to be full. I, I think we have to be more intentional now. I think we have to be more proactive rather than simply reactive and passive. So that leaves the question, okay, so what do we do? Well, uh, I'm going to suggest a few things that, just for what it's worth, are are suggestions. You can take them or leave them. Uh, First of all, a conversation I was just having with somebody reminded me of a little nuance here that, you know, things that have worked well in St. Augustine, Florida, might not work well wherever you're at. Our church is different. The people in our church are different. Your community is different. The, the pain around you might be different. The cultural nuances around you might be different. So I don't want to pretend that you can just sort of pick up and airdrop things that have been done in one church as though it's necessarily going to work in another church. It might, and it might not. And I think if you're really interested in what we're talking about, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to ask some questions. You're going to, ask, uh, you're going to have to ask some soul-searching questions about uh, yourself and your church and leadership dynamics and what we're doing, what we're not doing, and the historical narrative and maybe things that uh, we need to think about and uh, maybe even some things need to change, things we need to do that we've never done. And, you know, there's some some questions that are going to stretch us a little bit. Uh, but, But there are also some things I think we can really do, and we can do those things really well. In fact, I'm going to suggest that if we would like to see more people come and visit our churches so they might, they might hear good preaching, hear the claims of the gospel, etc., uh, that some things we can consider doing are as follows. Be nice. And that was pretty deep, and I'm asking a lot, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, be nice. Be kind. Uh, be a servant. A lot of the opportunities that you get to do things like invite people to church or listen to them talk about their problems, so you might be able to suggest uh, something biblical that, you know, this becomes like evangelism or pre-evangelism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, A lot of that now is formed through, like we're talking about before, through sort of horizontal relationship building, not just because they're necessarily seeking this out from a religious professional. It's just the reality. 
And so in the context where you're able to make friends, be friendly. Uh, if you do a sport like jiu-jitsu or beach volleyball or surfing, uh, if you play golf, repent. <laughs> There's no greater waste of time and human, let alone natural resources, than, than golf. That'll come back to haunt me. <laughs> right? Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, the general truth is uh, people are most willing to let their hair down and talk in the places where they recreate and unwind. The places where they are the most comfortable, where they see themselves as recreating their minds are, or their bodies are the places where they're most likely to be willing to talk about their souls. So you play a sport, you play basketball, and what do you do in between games, right? You go over and you hit the asthma inhaler, and you check your pulse, and yeah, I've had a rough week. Might get laid off, struggling with one of my kids at home. That's life, right? And, and you can have life-on-life -life conversation there, and that life-on-life -life conversation where you're kind, uh, where you're listening, where you're asking questions, uh, is earning you the opportunity to talk and to say things and to speak into people's lives. And I, and I really think this is a big part of the way we need to think about evangelism now. And I, I'd even go so far as to say, I think this, is ha this has replaced programs. I am not a program guy. I think programs were a modern communication paradigm that in general worked for a season and now uh, has become a little bit tired. Now it's interesting because when I say this at our church, we have a number of people that came to Christ through evangelism explosion uh, who still think very highly of it because they came to Christ through evangelism explosion and they're all retired. I'm not, I mean, I'm not being snarky. It's just the case. They're, they all are in a certain age bracket and they have a sentimental affection for the ministry, uh, but they have to admit that not a lot of folks are coming to Christ through that paradigm now. Someone's going to push back on that, but I, I'm still going to stick with it. Uh, but what you do see is that relationship is the new program. And, and frankly, as a pastor who has a lot of things to do and a family to love, uh, I can only be in so many places at one time. And so can you. And so this is where I think it gets kind of exciting that the whole church can be involved in this. Pastors can help train and teach and encourage and you know, pray and uh, cultivate the heart of uh, the church in a certain way. But at the end of the day, pastors can't reach all the people that you can reach. It's, just, it just, it's mathematically impossible. It, it's just, this is an easy point to make, right? Uh, but, but you can. And you can do it as you're out doing your sports where you have fun and just make it fun. Where you are having the most fun is where you are likely going to be the most effective. It's just really the case. When I go surfing, I'm in a good mood. I literally let my hair down. And, and strangely enough, I get to witness people all the time. I mean, people have come to church. It's the strangest little thing, but when I'm not trying to be a pastor, I'm actually a really good one. And I think for a lot of people, that, that, that just really is the way that it works. So the things that you do and enjoy doing as you go, uh, do them for Christ. And, and just love people. Be kind. When I was little growing up, my mom uh, you know, raised uh, kids by herself for the most part. And if we were walking towards a mall or a restaurant and there's a lady in front of us, she would make us lunge heroically to go and get the door and open the door for this lady and smack us if we didn't get there in time. My mom's just a tough redneck. You wouldn't mess with her. Those of you that met her, you know I'm telling the truth, right? 
Uh, but honestly, you know, things like that, just, just being kind, being gentle. My mom taught me to be a gentleman. That's why I'm opening this door for you. Because I'll ask, why, why are you doing that? Yeah, my mom taught me to, and I'm still afraid of her. <clears throat> you know, or other little things that you can do, just little gestures of kindness and servanthood. Uh, those sometimes can be really captivating and impressive. Uh, another thing I want to suggest uh, to our covenant kids, so I keep coming back to you, and I, I hope you love me enough to listen to me, and that is uh, you are in an interesting position too because you have some really great things going on. And, and one of them is uh, you have, as we've talked about, you know, right, some pretty good family dynamics. They're not perfect. Some of them are messed up a little bit. But in general, uh, we have some good families. And you have, you have a silver bullet. When I go up to Canada and they ask the question, all right, so how do we get people even to talk about this stuff? How do we get them to our church? How do we get them to our home? I'm like, look, this is no-brainer, all right? I've got three words, and if you commit these to your memory, it will change your evangelistic future altogether. Ready? Dutch apple pie. <laughs> Who in the world can turn down Dutch apple pie? I can't. I mean, you could lead me around the desert if you had a pie like five feet in front of me. And when you're a young single guy, right? You think about your friends, right? Who doesn't want to eat grandma's pumpkin pie or Dutch apple pie? My, my grandmother made uh, pumpkin pie. Okay. Um, the, the point is, though, uh, think about the opportunities you have just with food. Most church planning, most church pastors, uh, church planners would admit, and it's certainly the case for ours, uh, that, that, the, that the real epicenter of the church was our living room, in particular our kitchen table. Bite people over for food. Everybody eats. We'll be eating soon. Right? Uh, and, and some of the best conversations that you have this week will be over food. Invite friends over. And think about the dynamic, right? Uh, if you're in a family where you're, you know, your parents' families eat together and dad does he breaks out the Bible at the end and reads, this is a plug for family worship. I, I never shy away from plugging on family worship. Uh, that's right. And so think about it. Invite a non-Christian over, and he's there with a family. And he has a great meal. I mean, he's halfway to heaven already, right? And then you get to the end of this thing, and a dad breaks out the Bible and reads and prays. That's fantastic evangelism. That is otherworldly that is mind-blowing in this day and age uh, that is a foreign culture and vocabulary that's really intriguing and what an impression it makes and by the way you now have a captive audience right and if grandma's there if barb keller's there they're toast <laughs> she can unzip their soul and ask absolutely any question they want or she wants and it really is the case right there's you know grandparents have a wonderful way with teenagers of just kind of like loving you into submission but these little things, playfully as they may be, as I'm, as I'm saying them, I actually think it's fantastic. If you want to see people come to your church, start by inviting them to your home. And that means you might actually have to get to know people. Uh, some of us have a lot of friends outside the church, and this could be easy. Others, you know, I hate to ask this question because I know you won't like it, but how many of you know the names of your neighbors? If you don't know the names of your neighbors, you need to. There, I don't have a Bible verse, but I still think it's true. Right? <clears throat> uh, get to know people. Talk to them. Live life with people. 
Uh, little things like that are actually not little things in the big picture uh, because in those contexts, getting to know people, uh, eating with people, uh, breaking out the Bible and, and just having conversation, you know, people like maybe they'll ask a question about it. Maybe they won't. Uh, I'm not suggesting in order for us to be evangelistic, we need to go and just kind of pin people down aggressively with these forced conversations. I'm really ex- ex- suggesting the opposite, that we need to be very kind, very gentle, very loving. We need to ooze gospel compassion. Uh, We need to learn how to just listen and ask people questions and sense when the time is right uh, to maybe probe or go a little bit further. Uh, One of the things I love about uh, John Leonard's book, he suggests for pastors going around and talking to business guys, you know, the ones that look like they're really struggling and saying, "Uh, how's it going? Can I pray for your business? How's your family? Immigrant guys coming from other countries or people struggling to get a thing going. You know, it's interesting. You're a non-Christian. You're somebody from another country. And and this local guy that has a little bit of clout comes in and says, how can I care about your work that provides for your family? What man in here doesn't care about providing for his family, right? And to have this guy say, how can I pray for you? In my mind, little things like that are big things and in time become the stage upon which we might actually get uh, a genuine hearing. I'd like to suggest as well, as I have before, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in one session tomorrow. There's only two. Um, but uh, Abraham Kuyper has a quote. Not Abraham Kuyper. R.B. Kuyper. I can't tell those two guys apart. That's supposed to be a joke. All right. So R.B. Kuyper, in his little book, God-Centered Evangelism, he, he makes an interesting point that uh, godly living is no substitute for the gospel. Godly living is good, but we're talking about evangelism. And while godly living is good, us living godly lives, you know, is not necessarily sharing the gospel. So however they're going to hear the gospel, they need to hear the gospel, not just notice that we're really good neighbors uh, with ordered families and well-kept lawns. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back on what can be sort of a reform quietism uh, that has contented itself with godly living and excluded from that godly living any sense of verbal communication of the gospel. Uh, you're familiar, some of you, with the old quote from, uh, at least it's uh, attributed to Francis Assisi, Assisi, whatever, uh, share the gospel always and sometimes use words. not sure right uh that just it could almost mean just you know be a pretty good person maybe every great once in a while say something well faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god faith uh, doesn't come by watching christians do their christian thing it comes by hearing the word of god and some of us in this room are listening to me and saying okay look i'm just not the kind of person who's going to go out and just be able to you know start easily talking about the gospel, whatever. Okay, fine, I get it. But you know someone who is, and you can help make the connection. You can invite them into your home. You can befriend them. You can invite them to your church. They can come and hear your pastor's good preaching. Uh, You can invite them into your home and say, Dad, I've been praying for my friend for a while. When they come, could you please make sure that we do the devotions and it doesn't have to go 45 minutes? And it doesn't have to turn into family discipline, which usually in my house it does. And to, you know... how about praying together as a family for a friend, a neighbor? There, there are endless little things that we can do. 
But the little things become big things in somebody's life. And frankly, uh, doing little things together as a family is a wonderful way to stay together as a family. You know, there's that little phrase, the family that stays together, prays together. There's some truth to that. Uh, but how about making the joyful memories of serving the Lord together? Uh, I, I was just touched last night. I stayed uh, and listened to the Farnick presentation at the end and was just, j- just thinking how cool it must be as a dad to have his kids involved in the ministry this way and to have this sort of memories together as a family. You don't have to be a missionary to do that. In fact, everyone's a missionary. Uh, there's this little phrase. You know, I might be overstating that, but in a certain sense, everyone is a missionary. And there's no such thing as a missional church. It's an oxymoron. Every church is a missional church. When a church says it's a missional church, that's redundant. Every church is a missional church until Jesus comes home because until the mission of God is completed, we've all got a part in the story to play. So the little things we do together as a family, the little things that we can do together as a church, uh, those are actually uh, big things in the big picture. And uh, why not create fantastic memories? You teenagers and stuff, you can do all kinds of stuff together. You can try to perfect your sports and all these kinds of things, whatever. Uh, You could also determine to pray for some non-safe friends that play those same sports with you. You could determine uh, to try to have a, a, a Bible study and see if you have any friends that might want to come and check it out and see if your grandma will bake a pie. It'll work. It'll work. I think it'll work. So uh, at this point, I'm actually going to stop and uh, interact with some questions that have been, uh, that have been given. Okay? Tell me how much time I have for this, Al. Should I have about 30 minutes? 25 minutes, okay. All right? Okay, so uh, begin to contemplate your questions. I'll start with the one that was handed to me here just a little while ago. Um, okay, so here's a question. How do you invite people to church when you live one hour from an OPC? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Everybody lives an hour from the church they go to, right? No, I, I, honestly, I remember uh, back when we lived out here, I was just being impressed. Everybody seemed to live 45 minutes away from the church, and almost nobody lived near it. That's not, not an uncommon thing for our churches. I don't really even understand why, uh, but it does seem to happen to a number of them. Uh, so uh, a couple of ideas. Uh, the first one is going to be just the most unlikely or uh, the biggest challenge, but, uh, but I mean it. Plant more churches. So... We're actually, I'm excited to answer the question this way. Our church is literally trying to birth three daughter churches because we have three different highway corridors from which people are driving an hour, one way to come to church. And uh, repeatedly, they'll bring a friend. And the friend will come a handful of times, and then I'll get that call. You know that call, right? The let's just be friends from a distance call. I like your church, love the preaching or whatever, and uh, um, you know if it were closer, I'd stay. You know how many times I've heard that call? Oh, I can't stand those calls. Those calls hurt, right? Uh, why not plant more churches and stretch? Uh, I serve on denominations 
church planning committee, and I would just love to encourage churches where you have that dynamic, people come in our way, uh, take the big step of faith, and plant more churches, try to reach those people. And frankly, I don't mind admitting, one of the reasons why uh, we're doing it at Covenant, I've told this to my elders, it's because we're now at about 200 people, and things are going so well, it'd be easy to hit the comfort cruise control button, and I'm terrified of that. I'm afraid for myself of just hitting the autopilot button and, you know what I mean, just kind of let things go. But the idea of planting two, three churches just sounds crazy enough to keep us on our knees. Sounds crazy enough to make us trust God for the budget. Gives people who live in those corners an opportunity to say, yeah, we can invite more people to church. So would you rather get the phone call over and over, sorry the church is too far, or plant more churches? So it's an idea. I admit, it's a bold one. Um, The other thing for those of you that are out there, uh, you can start things like home group Bible studies. I don't really like the word small group because it comes with some baggage that I'm not altogether happy about. I think there's a better way uh, than this the evangelical small group approach, but that's a longer conversation. But idea, the idea, though, of having fellowship located in these spots, it seems like a no-brainer, right? People have to get together with one another. As a church, you have to bond with one another. You have to create that sense of life on life with one another. There has to be that sense of family, covenant, intimacy uh, during the rest of the week that justifies the long drive uh, on, on the Lord's Day. And then you have that in common as well. So while I have some nuanced pushback on small groups as are often discussed, something similar I think we can do in a way that looks really good. And by the way, when those groups grow and start to look healthy, guess what they begin to look like? Church plants, right? Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll stop there on that one and ask for other questions. Yes, sir. Stephen. Yeah. Is there anything that the OPC has, has put together as far as, let's say, Bible studies for people that they're reaching out to uh, in order to get people to the church? Do they have any near the church, anything like that? Let's say, like, what's the most difficult thing John was just mentioning uh, before he actually came to the church? I was converted that way. I was converted through a group of Bible studies before I even came into the church, in a sense. And I, I do agree it is very effective. So the question is, does the OPC have uh, literature available to use for sort of exploratory A teenager come up to me uh, during the break and ask a question about a friend uh, who seems to be moving towards making a profession of faith and someone, you know, what should I do? And honestly, going through the Gospel of John is fantastic. And, you know, it'd be wonderful. Well, there are a lot of ways you can do that, right? I mean, pastors and elders can do that kind of discipleship. But, you know, this was a teenage guy talking about a younger teenage kid, which wouldn't it be fantastic, like two young guys getting together talking about the gospel of John, that, that, that's good stuff, right, that could, that, that's good stuff, and that's, that's penetrating in relationships in ways that can be helpful, uh, does anyone else know of anything, uh, look to some of the other brothers here, or anyone else, uh, any other literature that you're aware of for these kind of exploratory Bible studies that has already been put out there, yes sir, hey Roger, nice to see you again,
Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. I might encourage you, you know, if you feel inclined, you know, send Danny Olinger an email, ask him about it, and if he says there's nothing, say, well, well, let's get to work on one. Uh, he, he would probably welcome something like that. Another thing I'd point out, you know, it's very interesting to me that the preface to the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it was written for whom? Well, there's a particular phrase. The Shorter Catechism was written for whom? There's the phrase I'm still not hearing, the ignorant and uninstructed. Yeah, if I understand from the original preface, as it was written, I'm quoting, uh, for the ignorant and the uninstructed, uh, it was, if you will, a certain version of a track. And I, I will say, too, what's interesting, you know, in our church, like, so we have a, our reformed youth camp, and we make kids, we have a 50% scholarship that we offer if they memorize a bunch of stuff and we do shorter catechism with that. One thing that's just fantastic to me, I mean, just so encouraging, uh, is we have a number of kids in our church that have come from outside the church and different uh, ethnic uh, neighborhoods around us and stuff, and to hear them quoting the catechism and talking about it, and uh, Janiah, the young lady I mentioned earlier, who's now become like a mentor, a 16-year-old young lady, like a mentor uh, to some of her friends, uh, talking about the shorter catechism. You sit back and say, oh, that's, that's just beautiful, and that's all God. So I wouldn't write off the shorter catechism as a tool that we can use for evangelism. The way that it's laid out, I think, is actually designed, uh, for lack of a better phrase, evangelistically, and could be used toward that end. I'd probably start with something like the Gospel of John, uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't mind peppering it with the catechism as well. Yes, ma'am. Say your name, please, and stand up so we can hear you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, something like that too, what's nice about that is it plays to our strength. I mean, we are, we've got to be the best educated denomination in the country. No, I mean, I'm, seriously. I mean, like as far as Christian education, catechism, you know, the fact you even know that word and have memorized a lot from it, right? Uh, I mean, our, our pastors are the, you know, I, I heard uh, Robert, no, George Marsden at GA a number of years ago say the OPC's got the best educated pastors in the country. No, no question, hands down. Uh, I think our members, if you, you know, if you get grown up, get grown up, great grammar, Eric. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> Anywho, so... You know, if you spend a good number of years in the catechetical Sunday school programs, the OPC, you'll 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 come out on the other side of the pretty good education. Uh, so my guess is, like, you know, a lot of our you know high school age kids, college kids, could lead a, a, a session like that and and probably do a pretty good time, uh, a pretty good job of it. And by the way, you might be able to get grandma to bake a 
Dutch apple pie, which is this silver bullet to all these things. I'm telling you, you show up with a really, I'm not kidding. There are pastors in the OPC. I, I, we have a young man, uh, a young man now, he's a pastor, he's ordained serving uh, up in the northeast. Uh, he followed Larry Semmel, and he came to the OPC through our church. Uh, scary looking kid. Uh, it makes me look really cleaned up like I'm wearing a bow tie. And I mean, just kind of hair and ratty jeans and shoes that should have been buried a long, long time ago. And we met him on campus at seminary. He was there as a seminary student. Guy's sharp as a tack. And uh, we do this thing where we go on campus with food and just hang out. People come and talk. It's, it's, it's easy. Food. We'll talk. Right? And so he was asked when he did his uh, licensure exam, so how'd you find your way into the OPC? He said, it's very simple. I came for the pie. <clears throat> you tell your friends, hey, let's uh, get together. We'll do a little talk about the Bible thing and have some food. That can actually be pretty disarming. And you might be surprised. You know, millennials will come to something like that uh, in a way that might, I think will really be surprising. And I say this as a word not only to the younger folks, but uh, even to pastors and older folks. Uh, there's something that's sort of intellectually rugged and honest about the millennial mindset that would make a Bible study like that. Let's just talk about the Bible and try to answer some questions about it. Uh, that could be very, uh, it could actually be very well received. You might need to host it in a home rather than church at the beginning because when you say it's at my church, that's a little bit of a snag sometimes for people. If you say, you know, it's going to be in a home, that's a little bit different. But home court advantage is a fantastic advantage as a means to getting people to come to church, particularly on Sunday. So thank you for your question. Santosh? Oh, okay. What is this thing? No, 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 come back. See, look at this. See? See, it knows the voice of its master. He walked away. I didn't even touch the screen. Yeah, that's right. You want to borrow my pen? All right, read the question. Could you give us an example of your two-minute gospel sharing message while waiting in line somewhere? You mentioned this earlier. You have different ones for different locations like a grocery store or the airport, etc. Okay, so, uh, so what I'm suggesting, and a lot of people suggest this, is that everyone should be able to answer in pretty brief and clear form, uh, the question, what is the gospel and how did you become a Christian? Okay, and while the answers might not look identical, especially on the latter question, we ought to be able to be clear uh, with both. So if somebody asked me how I became a Christian, I would tell them the story of I grew up in a broken home, my dad's a career Marine, left our family when I was 12, began doing drugs uh, in my early 20s, started following a band around the country, and... I uh, decided, had enough of that, and got on a Greyhound bus and come back. Uh, somebody gave me a Bible, and after a few days on the bus, I uh, began reading the Bible. My little brother's name is there, and in the pages of Scripture, I think I became a Christian, and that began a long journey. And uh, now here's the point that I want to make, though, okay, as regards the question. Uh, you want to move from talking about yourself to talking about the gospel. People are interested in hearing your story and we all love talking about ourselves, you know, probably a little bit too much, including me. But what we need to be talking about is ultimately Christ's story, right? So then uh, if you get to interact particularly about the gospel, you need to be able to say in pretty clear, uh, short uh, language what the gospel is. And, you know, to write that down, 
you know, on a page that would take you about, you know, two minutes to share uh, where you can talk about uh, what it means to be a sinner, right? We've all broken God's law, and you can ask questions or just talk about, you know, I just, I, I just, I know, you know, I've told lies, I've stolen, you know, I've done things I shouldn't have done, I haven't done things I should have done, I've got this sense of conviction, and I, I just have this sense of my conscience that it, if I had to stand before God and answer for all that I've done, it would be a long and not good day. And yet God is merciful to poor wretched sinners like me. Maybe I wouldn't use the word wretched, depending on the person I'm talking to. And he did something I, I can't even imagine. I, I, don't even, I believe it, but I don't necessarily understand it. He sent his son, whom he loved, to die for a sinner like me that totally didn't deserve that love and grace. But even though I don't fully understand it, I believe it, and it's become the very central truth of my life that holds everything together for me, uh, enables me to sleep at night, and gives me hope that when I die and stand before Him, and He says, so why should you be able to come to heaven? I, I, I have no other answer than Christ. But I've got a great answer in Christ. So that wasn't two minutes, but you get the point. You can polish it up your own way. You, you don't need me to put those words into your, your mouth. They need to be your words, but they need to be biblical words. But one thing I would say could be helpful, though, is if you're going to take the time to do it, uh, let your pastor or an elder see it and talk about it. Talk about it uh, maybe with one of your parents or a good godly uh, Christian influence because it is helpful, while we don't want to just kind of quote this canned thing, it is helpful to be able to be clear. And sometimes we're horribly unclear when we answer things. I'm sure at times I've been unclear in some of my answers to your questions, maybe even this one. Uh, but you want to work on being clear and have different length presentations of it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you just a, a really fun story about Carl the Evangelist, who's not here, um, how this kind of worked out for him in a grocery store. It's what made me think about it. So he and my mom go to Walmart. This is one of those days where I'm gone, and uh, my son's driving my wife nuts, so my grandmother takes him to Walmart, largely to save his life. And while they're there, uh, my son sees a picture of Jesus on one of these magazines, and he goes, oh, that's gross. And this older lady turns around and looks at him and looks at the picture, and is like, what, what's, what's the matter with that? He says, that's gross. She's like, why? And she's clearly like, like stunned by this. And he says, well, look at that picture of Jesus. Everyone knows he didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes, why did they make him look like that? And the lady's looking at the picture, and she looks down at my son. She looks at the picture. I get this from my mom. She goes, you know what? You're right. He would have had brown hair and darker skin and all that. And it just starts this little conversation. How do you know all this stuff? Well, my, my dad's a pastor, and we talk about the Bible a lot, and I've learned about Jesus and what he might have looked like, and I know he wouldn't have looked like that. And so Carl the Evangelist just goes off on this lady who's trapped. And my grandmother... Uh, is watching this thing go on, and at the end of this little conversation, my, my, this lady tells my mom, this is a really nice young man, I just love this guy, and Carl knows how to seize the opportunity, he's a great salesperson, uh, Grant, can I have a Coke now? <laughs> now, he's, he's not supposed to have a whole lot of sugar, uh, he's, uh, he's like pre-pre-diabetic or whatever, and if you let Carl have a lot of sugar, it's like the beginning of Gremlins, um, it can get bad, so watch out for the sugar thing, so... Uh, my mom says no. She says, but maybe I'll, uh, I'll get you one at lunch if, if, you're, if you're good. And the lady said, you know what? I'd like to buy him that Coke. <laughs> and she gives 
my, grand, my mom $20 to take Carl to lunch. And Carl looks at my mom and says, Mom, do you have a card for our church? I want to invite this lady. And my mom, to her embarrassment, has to say no. So Carl fills in the picture. It's Covenant out on 16. Uh, come and see us. I'm a, I'm a happy dad. And Carl got his Coke and lived. But you know, So little things like that are just kind of silly anecdotal ways of saying that even in a grocery store line, you know, sometimes you've got a few minutes. You never know where things might go. But uh, maybe you can be even more clear than, than Carl. Next question? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a second one here. Sorry. No, it's okay. What is another question you could ask besides... It seems like you're hurting right now to initiate conversation about religion. Okay, that's fair. Not everyone exhibits their pain. Just wondering what another starting point could be. So it's a good question. My little thing about it seems like you're hurting. That, that was only because in that context, I was sitting beside a lady in military uh, outfit who clearly was coming back from someplace serving, and she was very upset, visibly upset, and it was kind of, you know, it was obvious, right? But the, I think the better point there is not so much ask that question, but to be a student of other people. Like, like pay attention. You can tell. Look in a person's eyes. My grandmother, you know, sounds a little, um, she's this beautiful uh, Indian woman. Uh, she said, the eyes are the windows of the soul. I think that's really true. You look in a person's eyes. You can see what's going on. I, that's why I like to preach with very little notes so I can do an awful lot of looking at you so I can tell if Tammy's blinking or not. But I can see your eyes. I can tell when you're with me. I can tell when you're checking out. Uh, I can tell if you're hurting. You know, and you can too. This isn't rocket science. When you look at people, you can see what's going on. Uh, if you ask a few questions, where are you from? If you're on a plane, right? Uh, you know, work or business? These are, all the, these are how all conversations begin on a plane, right? Are you on a work trip or a business trip? Where are you from? What are you doing while you're out there? Uh, people give you little hints. Reference of family. I'm going to a wedding. What's going on? If you ask a few questions, I can't like prepackage these questions for you, but I think if you just ask questions, inevitably it'll come back around and people will begin asking you questions and you can begin talking about the things that you want to talk about and use that as a possible opportunity in the gospel. And frankly, uh, just to make sure I'm, I'm not uh, hypocritical here, uh, there are plenty of times where I have conversations with people and I don't get to anything meaningfully spiritual. And there are occasions when I feel like, you know, maybe I dodged it then. And other times I feel like, you know what, it, it just wasn't that time. So I'm not trying to pretend every time you meet a stranger this needs to become some John 3.16. I'm certainly not trying to say that I do that all the time myself. Uh, there, there are times when I, when I do and there are times when I don't. Uh, but if you are sensing an opportunity or looking for an opportunity, I am suggesting that asking questions is a really great way to get down the trail conversationally. But that uh, means that you're actually learning how to listen. Uh, I've done this talk, by the way, a few times. I've had wives come up to me and say, you know, I would love it if my husband would become a better listener. <laughs> the nice thing about this is in every context, it's actually true that learning how to ask good questions and listen is a good thing. Pastors, right, when you're doing counseling, got to listen. Husbands and wives have to listen. Siblings need to listen. Uh, but if you're talking to your friends and you're the one who's always doing all the talking, uh, you're probably not listening. And you might actually be missing 
the most important thing that you could be talking about because you won't slow down long enough to look in their eyes and see what their words aren't saying. So that you might ask what you should be listening to. That makes sense? Ma'am? Could you stand up just so others can hear you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, so her question is, uh, when you're sensing a conversation, I use the red light, green light, people can give you indicators, yes, I'm willing to keep talking about this, no, you've crossed the line, and uh, I'm going to shut down now. Uh, how do you continue without being pushy? That's tough, and I'm not always the best at this, because I come from a pushy family, and uh, people are just fairly frank and to the point about things or whatever. Um, I, I at times wish I were better at saying, no, that was actually, that, that, that light was red, but I was thinking you know, it's more like stale green. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think that's, just, that's something you just have to discern. And I, I appreciate our brother, uh, Homer Simpson, the evangelist, uh, from the United Two before. I think we have to be, if we're actually going to engage this, I'll say this again. I think we have to be willing to make mistakes, but learn from our mistakes. So you'll have attempts at this conversation, maybe with a friend or two, and realize, you know what? Uh, I shouldn't have asked that question, or I should have asked more questions, or whatever. But if you get to you know the fifth or sixth version of this, you'll you'll do better at it. And this is one thing that's really exciting about doing it in the community of our churches is that we can actually talk about this together, right? You can talk about this with your pastor, your elders, friends in church, and you can encourage one another. And you know, it's interesting to me in the Bible how often you see people being sent two by two. I wish we could plant churches two by two. I wish we could do evangelism two by two because it's a whole lot easier for you to go, up, go out with a friend and do this, and it might be to do it one-on-one, but one of the benefits is with, you, with a friend, I do this all the time, all right, pastoral visits, uh, evangelism things, uh, asking someone, uh, what could I have done better? You know, what might have gone a little bit differently? Processing things together, uh, learning uh, from one another in that kind of a context can be really good. So I wish I could give you an easy answer. I think you just have to pay attention and tell, but you know, if we're talking and I start getting mad at you, you can tell that, right? Okay, most likely. Uh, you just have to pay attention to those little signals. That's probably the best I can do. My wife would probably give you a better answer because she's a much better listener than I am. Other questions? We've got, I think, what, eight minutes? How's yeah, we're clearly doing that postmodern time thing again. That's okay. All right, well then, uh, let me say, uh, as we're just... Uh, Land the plane. Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, tonight when we get together, I will actually be speaking. I can't call it preaching, but I really want to on a, one of my favorite texts in the whole Bible uh, that will focus on the idea of being loved by Christ and uh, loving Him. So I look forward to that with you this evening. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are kind, compassionate, and full of love, abounding in steadfast mercy upon your people, and we thank you, O Lord, that in spite of our many uh, frailties and sins and weaknesses, O Lord, that you continue to smile upon us in the sun of your love. 
We ask that you'd help us to glorify and enjoy you together uh, in small, simple, and faithful things. And we pray that, Lord, in time, as we put these things to practice and apply them to our hearts and to our lives, to our families and our churches, Lord, we ask that you would give us encouraging signs that you are smiling even upon our work of seeking to carry out the Great Commission together to be salt and light in whatever little place or way you have stationed us. I thank you for my friends who have been willing to listen and engage this subject so far uh, with a lot of patience and a bunch of encouragement as well. And we pray, Lord, now that as we go to lunch and spend the day uh, playing vigorously, we pray that you give us safety, we pray that you give us joy, but help us to continue to reflect on these things and to encourage one another in our conversation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed.